Each year, expert Red Havas communicators from around the world collaborate to research and identify the 10 global trends that will shape the integrated communications and PR landscape over the next year and beyond. This year, in our 2021 Red Sky Predictions, our collective insights center on what the pandemic has taught us. The most disruptive and clarifying year in modern history provided countless takeaways about what matters and what doesn't, what's possible, what's vulnerable, what can't wait a day longer, and what we all stand to lose. 2020 sent a resounding message about how much control we wield over our own lives. Very little. As it turns out, even the best laid plans fly out the window when a crisis comes knocking or crashing through the door in the case of a global pandemic. That's why our overarching prediction for 2021 is how vastly unpredictable this year stands to be. Needless to say, it wasn't easy to distill our predictions down to the 10 fundamental trends that you can expect to shape the communications landscape post-pandemic. But we've managed it. Spanning the digital and social media space, healthcare and technology, the workplace and travel, each prediction analyzes the communication challenges and opportunities posed by the global pandemic. Many of these are the challenges and opportunities we have countered already as we navigate this new landscape together. I'm your host, Nancy Anderson, and this is the first of a three-part series where we dissect each of the 10 2021 Red Sky Predictions. Linda, tell us what we're covering today. Hi, Nancy. Today's episode is going to focus on two trends that are related to the workplace. One is the rise of the empowered employee, and we're going to look at how brands and companies have been harnessing the potential of employee-generated content in a post-pandemic world. But we're also going to look at how um, the employer-employee contract has shifted as all eyes have turned to how companies are treating their employees. And then the second trend we're going to dig into is mental muscle matters. And really this will focus on the you know, ever increasing attention that's being paid in the workplace and beyond on mental health, mental fitness and resilience. Joining me for today's conversation is um, Red Havas CEO, James Wright, who's also a contributor to the report and Ruth Harper, who is Vice President of Global Strategic Communications at the Manpower Group. Well, we're thrilled to have them, and we're really excited to start digging into these trends and examining them closer. So let's get this underway. Absolutely. Ruth, James, thank you for joining us today. Survey after survey, from the Kaiser Family Foundation to the Financial Times, even the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in the U.S., point to alarming levels of stress and fatigue among today's workers. And this is true across all different types of roles, all different types of markets. And it's really put a spotlight on mental fitness, mental resilience that we haven't seen. And James, that's, that's one of the trends that you really drove in our Red Sky Predictions report, this idea of mental muscle matters. So would you start by unpacking this trend for us? I think that the issue of mental fitness and mental health has never been higher than it is today. And that is because we've had a lot of change in society and, and with big change, particularly an abrupt change, like we've seen, you know, anxiety and, and behaviors kind of come to the forefront. So you know, we, we are 
all at home now. A lot of us are at home now. We are experiencing things in new ways and different ways. We've been thrown together with people for longer periods of time, uh, or we're not seeing people for longer periods of time. And 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 you know we're not we're, we're no longer you know working from home, but we are home at work. And that 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 idea as well of trying to switch off has become tough too. Um, I think you know we need to. We need to try and find ways to do that. You know, there's a lot of research out there in terms of the impact of the pandemic on people's, um, you know, mental health. Now, we did a piece of research with a, a client of ours, Gotcha for Life, which is a, a charity that works in the mental fitness space that showed that, you know, about two thirds of people have been negatively affected by the pandemic, both physically and mentally. You know, that, you know, anywhere between you know, seven and 12% of people have contemplated suicide and that's higher amongst 18 to 34 year olds in the US, that's at 15% of, of people that have contemplated suicide. And yeah, people are missing family, they're missing their loved ones, they're missing those kind of human connections you had, going to concerts, going to the movies, going to bars and restaurants, all of the things that we took, you know, um, as, as, you know, daily givens, right? We, that, that was just what we did. Suddenly they're not there anymore and we're having to change our behaviors. So this is becoming a big factor for business because the health of the workforce, a healthy workforce is an effective workforce. So we've got to ensure that our workforce is, is healthy. So um, you know, that's become one of the big agenda points for every C-suite, I think, around the country now. So Ruth, I'm, I'm curious for your perspective, because if, um, if memory serves, Manpower Group recently released a new report, and which we'll link to this in the, in the show notes, um, where you surveyed more than 8,000 people across eight countries. And you asked these employees what they had to say about the, the, the future. And one of the themes you explored is well-being. So curious, what did you hear from employees on this topic? Sure, yeah, Linda. Um, you know, we we did a piece of research actually before the pandemic to understand what workers want from the future of work. Um, you know, the 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 necessity then to kind of understand, wow, to James's point about, you know, this vast change that's taken place in a very short space of time, this kind of shock, if you like. Um, it was a really important nudge for us to really understand, um, you know, what if, what a worker is going to want after COVID. And I think even when we did the research, we hoped that we'd be talking in a couple of months time. Oh, how little we knew. But um, yeah, so we surveyed um, another 8000 workers and on well-being specifically, I guess we heard three clear things, many, many things, but three clear trends, I think, from workers of, of all backgrounds, part time, um, full time, blue collar, white collar. So very representative survey, you know, and it might seem obvious, but it's certainly worth worth um, flagging. First off, you know, the most important thing to people are their health concerns to themselves personally, but of course to their families. So again, when you think about the future for workers and the future of work, how do we make sure that we can minimize those health concerns going forward? So a little bit obvious, but um, one to be super conscious of. And the top worry within those kind of, apart from that health concern, the top worry was the fear of going back to how things used to be. So people were are fearful of losing this newfound flexibility, being required to be back in the day, in the workplace daily, 
um, you know, 40% of them were saying, this is it, this is the end of nine to five as we know it. Um, and that's even more when you start to look at younger workers. So, so that kind of, I don't want to go back to how things were, was a real clear trend. The second trend really was about kind of, um, you know, I feel autonomous and I want a personalized version of this hybrid workplace that we very quickly started to, to observe. Um, you know, lots of people have talked about the luxury of working remotely for some time. It's been a long time wish. Wow, you know, be careful what you wish for, because some of us would long to be going back or picking and choosing when we go back. So this kind of hybrid workplace and the balance of home and work, probably on average, you know, quite enjoying going into the office for about three days a week, give or take, um, is, is kind of where we can see people leaning. But it's interesting, you know, around the kind of well-being and specifically around kind of mental health and, and um, men mental wellness, um, you know, that, that there's an important balance really between um, even with remote working and flexible working, those people that cannot work remotely need an alternative as well. They need a solution um, as well. And we need to work really hard to find solutions around flexible working that will help alleviate those tensions between work and home. And the balance of work and home, just being at home doesn't make it balanced, I guess, because the tensions between home and work and the relationships um, within that can be a major cause, actually, of um, anxiety and stress. I heard um, the Wellcome Trust just talking about that as, a, as, as something we really need to take um, great care about um, recently. So, so you know, the, the hybrid workplace and the hybrid working style that's going to work for me. And then the third trend, I think, really, is about losing my job. That's a high anxiety driver, a real stress driver, which sometimes might force people to go to work or to work in certain ways. So losing your job is a high anxiety driver that companies really need to address. And I think one of the most obvious ways, especially based on what we heard elsewhere in the survey, is to help people develop the skills to feel and to be employable in the future. And that will alleviate some of that anxiety too. And workers are up for it. Many of them are saying they want more learning on demand. They're happy to learn virtually. And in previous surveys, we've seen two that often the biggest blocker for people um, developing their skills is time and building in time. And so there is, there's even been some success, I guess, if there were a silver lining, but there's been some success from helping some of those workers that have to work at home or even have been furloughed to be giving them direction about what are some of the useful skills that they can be developing. So a few headlines there um, in terms of what we heard direct from, from cross country. No, it's, it's so fascinating to hear that. And it, it echoes some of the additional reading that I've been doing and talking to uh, clients about what they're hearing from employees. And I think one of the other trends has been, it's, you know, previous to the pandemic, it was off, almost a don't ask, don't tell when it comes to mental health and struggles mm -hmm. and feeling anxiety. And now the floodgates have sort of opened and, and more and more companies are creating vehicles where employees can have a safe space to talk about these issues, expanding resources, and really training managers on how do you help your employees, particularly Ruth, to your point, as, or, and, and James also made it about when you're, you're not working from home, you're living at work, and, and your professional and personal lives are so blended, how do you, how do you 
you know, find those boundaries and be able to manage everything and have that conversation and also talk about workloads, which is the other area of people feeling that they can't talk about their workload. And that's probably one of the biggest issues driving the anxiety. Mm, we used to say that, you know, you spend 70% of your of your life at work. So, you know, enjoy your job. And, you know, the irony is to James's point, well, we're spending 100% of our of our home at work as well. So yeah, getting that balance right is is um, is super imp important. You know, we did a piece of consumer research as well a year or so before the pandemic in, in the US, um, only in the US, but um, you know, 60% of people were saying they wanted to improve their well-being at work back then. So actually some of the statistics that we're reading now still seem remarkably low, which I take that not that people are happier than we think they are, but it's more a reinforcement of the stigma still about talking about men mm -hmm. mental health and wellness. Whereas now I, I'd agree with you, if there were one um, good thing that should come out of the pandemic, it's this accelerated prioritization of mental health and of physical well-being and of mental well-being as well. It is, it is very much on the agenda for, for organizations and especially mm -hmm. HR. I think one of the things that we're seeing, and it's a big, it's a big thing, is, is people feeling like they're doing more hours than ever before and because there's just not a switch on and off anymore and, and yeah I think it was um, John Maynard Keynes the famous economist in the 30s said that we would be moving to a 15-hour week very quickly um, that sort of century because of the impact of technology not only did that prediction not you know happen it's actually probably gone the other way over that time whereas you know the more effective and efficient we become in um, with technologies um, and with processes and systems that we create, the actual kind of more hours and time we put into it. And so I think it's fascinating that people are feeling that they're doing more now than, than before. It shouldn't really be that way. I think we had a much greater balance when we had more uh, flexibility where you knew you could go in the office and you could also work at home. We found that balance. And that's why I think hybrid is the way this will go. It will become you know, partly in the office and partly at home, whatever works. And clearly some people are very happy working from home all the time. Some people prefer to be in the office all the time. But I think broadly, the bigger kind of group will be in that middle where actually that kind of healthy hybrid will exist. I do think there's a factor here, and I've looked at a lot of this sort of research and we did a um, something with a, a, a client of ours on the, the psychology of the commute and, and the role that that plays in terms of switching you on for work and switching you off. Yeah. from work we've kind of lost that and so actually um uh you know i think that's a really interesting piece that we're missing now and and i've talked to people about how they do that you know people actually go and get ready for work go out the door walk around the park come back in do work and then do the same at the end of the day just to try and find a way to switch on and off but i think we miss we miss a lot of those kind of again sort of those um I mean, I, I don't think anyone really likes their commute, but actually we forget how much of a role it played in, in getting us ready and, and getting us, I guess, ready for, ready for sort of switching off too. That, I mean, that to the, mental health, um, to the mental health point, James, you're dead right, because, you know, our, our survey was telling us people hated the commute. It was one of the best things that they have lost as a result of this kind of change in what's going on um, work-wise. Um, but what we probably haven't quite done or what people, individuals need to be even more intentional about and organisations need to be better at honouring is encouraging people to reclaim their commute 
to be doing something different. Um, and of course, there is the there is the um, the challenge of well, it's great. I don't need to commute. I can start my day a little bit earlier. I can sit and have my breakfast with my kids. Um, and then I can go back to the study or back to the office, whatever it is. But there is a real discipline that's required, I think, to not mean that that's six in the morning through 10 p.m. with very few breaks. So I think that kind of campaigns internally, even to reclaim your commute and to, you know, to, to use the to use the, the data and analytics that many of the tools that we're all using as organizations um, to look at our own kind of well-being and how much we're on and all of that, you know, use that. Um, and, you know, I get, a, I get an email every morning from Cortana and she tells me that I could have some focus time because there's a couple of tiny windows in my calendar. <laughs> it's my favorite email of the day. I'm like, yes, Cortana, you give me that free time back. Um, we need to be disciplined about reclaiming some of that flexibility. Yeah, I think that's an important point. Well, I want to stay on the topic of employees, but but transition a bit. Um, is one thing we could say about 2020, it seemed like it was the year of the employee. You know, for most of the year, um, there was really close scrutiny on how companies treat employees. And some surveys suggest it was the the number one driver of, of corporate reputation was, you know, um, of, of company behavior and, and how it handled layoffs and, and other types of disrupt disruptions for the employees. And, you know, for, for many companies, while employees were always an audience, I think the value of employees, you know, um, really rose. And we're seeing now some organizations actually, you know, create new new communications teams that historically didn't exist to really focus on the employee experience. And as employee stock rose, companies began to also rethink, you know, should we be, how could we be tapping into this asset to help us humanize our brand, to tell our story since it's resonating. And we began to see an uptick in brands sort of activating employees as their new brand influencers. And so my question to you, James, is are employees and employee-generated content the new UGC? Are we seeing a fundamental shift in the roles that employees play in brand storytelling? Employees have always had a voice and have always been active in, in organizations at different times uh, in previous decades. But I think right now, um, never more so has the employee voice been as important as it is? And, and, and indeed, the employees have recognized the power of their voice. And there's been a rebalancing, if you like, of the employment contract in a time when public expectation and scrutiny of corporate behavior has never been higher. I mean, McKenzie released a report uh, last year, end of last year, where they expect three to four times more people will work from home going forward than pre-COVID. So that rebalancing of the employment contract is very real. And, and you know, obviously, Ruth has touched on um, some of the, the statistics that, that Manpower Group has. You know, we know, we know it's happening, but how then can you harness that and use it for your advantage? You know, your employees should be your biggest brand advocate. You know, they should be brand ambassadors. So I think there's also an opportunity whilst you are rebalancing that kind of relationship to actually how can your employees play a bigger role in you know, driving the narrative of your organization to tell your story. Clearly, it needs to be 
very like authentic as to how they're doing that. But I think it's really kind of opened that up in a, in a big way, particularly as you know employees have become one of the biggest um, issues that every single C-suite uh, management team is, is looking for at the moment. To our point earlier, a healthy workforce means that you've got a healthy business. Well, and, and we also know from studies that have been done the importance that you know, um, health and wellness, you know, consistent communications, a company's purpose are to attracting the very best talent. And when you look at, I guess, by 2030, 75% of the talent pool will be millennials. And these are really critical issues to millennials. It becomes, it's enlightened self-interest, right? How do you position your organization for success today, but also to continue to attract the, the talent and the customers you need and you want to you know, make your business sustainable. Ruth would love to hear from your perspective on, you know, how Manpower Group is, you know, incorporating and integrating employees into your communications. Uh, Linda, I'd, I'd agree so much that 2020 became the year of ESG and and um, kind of um, increased social responsibility and, and a call for organisations to be really clear on their social impact. And top of that list, top of that stakeholder list would be what are you doing for your employees? Um, so I'd agree with you enormously. And then you throw into the mix um, you know, the rise and rise of, of social media where everybody has a, has, has a voice. You know, we've talked about that trend too for a number of years that, you know, the rise and rise of individual choice and people being able to vote with their feet and almost kind of social media being the unionization, if you like, of the workforce, whether you're in a union or whether you're not. Um, and so I'd, I'd agree with you um, enormously in terms of um, the role of the employee. And I think this is where we get to the importance of the purpose of the organisation as well and how, um, how um, employees understand and support um, the, the um, purpose of the organisation. We're purpose-driven as an organisation that to a certain extent we are in a fortunate position what we do every day, finding work, finding meaningful work for millions of people around the world in 75 plus countries, um, purpose is in the DNA of our organization. And our, we know our people take enormous pride um, in doing that. So of course we need to nurture that pride. We don't take it for granted. We know that reputation takes decades to build, but uh, can disappear in seconds for sure. Um, you know, but I, I, I remember reading very early on in the, um, in, in, the early days of the pandemic, you know, an increasing call already from investors, even from your JP Morgans and your Black Rocks, that were beginning to kind of already ask the question around what's your social impact um, through the pandemic. And again, I think we were looking at that as if it were going to last a couple of months. Um, but you know, what are we, what are we doing for non-financial shareholders? Um, and you know, very early on, we began to gather the stories from our employees around what are we doing related to our purpose to find meaningful, sustainable work for people, um, even in a pandemic. And we've got 26,000 people working for us, helping millions of people um, find work every year. And what we're doing is around finding work, upskilling, um, finding talent for organizations that are essential um, 
that are as essential as the workers that are going into them every day. Ambulance drivers, trackers, tracers, PPE manufacturers, manufacturing folks, and, and even people developing the technology to create robots that were going to do the testing so that humans didn't need to and so much more. You know, often we learn the pride of those stories and where it's happening. We learn it faster from our people who are on social media, either internally within the organization, telling their story about how their role is moving them and how it can help them almost forget the challenge of, of the job that they're doing because of the pride that they take in doing their job. So some of it was very much kind of generated internally and some of it being generated externally. And, you know, ours is a good story to tell and, um, you know, even more authentic that it is created by our employees. And we managed to, you know, proudly close the year off by summing up our purpose and our sustainability pillars um, evidenced by story after story of the impact that we're making to all of our employees, both internal and the things that the organization is doing for employees, but also more importantly, what our employees are doing for the communities in which we and our clients operate too. So a very strong story to tell in our social impact report by the end of 2020. Well, and I think the, the other thing that you bring up that's so important and underscores um, some findings by McKinsey is that when employees are connected with their purpose, and they can apply their purpose in their daily work. They're four times, you know, had higher engagement, five times higher well-being. All that translates to better productivity, right? Greater retention and helps both the employee quality of life, but also from a client standpoint and really creates that, that virtual and virtuous life cycle. Um, it's, it's so important. James, did you want to jump in? My, my um, view on this in, in summary is that, you know, we've talked a lot about purpose in this podcast previously. And I think that, you know, businesses that have talked, you know, quite openly and, 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 and have driven a lot of marketing off the back of this purpose they have beyond profit, they've been under pressure and a lot of media scrutiny and a lot of community scrutiny to really stand up for that during the last sort of 10 to 12 months. You know, actually don't just tell us what you're doing, show us what you've done demonstrate some actions that you're taking to actually stand for those values and that purpose that you've been talking about and how that's manifested it for itself for the employee is actually very simply in is that they expect progress now not pledges okay stop pledging to us you're going to do xyz we expect progress and i think that was particularly clear in the de and i space particularly after the whole Black Lives Matter movement um, uh, following um, George Floyd's death in May last year. You know, that is what, what is the expectation now. And I think that expectation has risen to a point we haven't seen before, where it's actually less about kind of um, uh, engaging with your em em employer because they're your employer, but actually wanting to engage with your employer because actually your employer can play a role in bettering the community in which you operate. So you're almost kind of like, not just thinking about what that, what that um, employer can do for you, but what can that employer be doing for you and your community? And I think that's a real shift that we've seen in the last sort of uh, nine, 10 months. Yeah, I think that's an expectation. It's turning into a hygiene factor as opposed to even just a mm -hmm. best place to work. Um, and I do, I think organizations have been called out increasingly and that's now happening more within an organization and there is almost a kind of deafening silence if an organization doesn't take a stance 
Um, and you're, you know, you're, you're right. And this goes to, you know, on the one hand, employees telling the organization's story, and that's great authenticity. But, you know, the authenticity works from a top-down perspective, too, that people don't trust institutions and organizations. But my word, they trust their manager and they trust their employer more and more. You know, work is almost like the new church. It is their community. Um, it is an expectation, then, for people to hear from leaders authentically in terms of what matters in relation to the purpose of the organization and if you did not stand up for it last year you were missing an opportunity I think in terms of how can you say our purpose has been this for 70 years but when the you know when the chips are down you were you just weren't to, to James's point you weren't showing progress all you were doing was reinforcing your pledge and yet the evidence wasn't there and I think you know if you didn't begin to even prove yourself last year then you're you know very much as an organization having to play catch up um, to catch up this year and a lot of leaders were very much out of their comfort zone last year um, and um, I think have have you know retrospectively we can look back and say wow how much we learned in a year in terms of you know the difference to leadership and the difference to business models and and the difference even to the definition of change and transformation and the speed with which we can do it um so you know exponential learnings on that on on that front and the opportunity going forward is how do we continue to progress those um uh going forward well i think to your point it's it's being authentic also means being transparent about where you are versus where you aspire to be and conversations about those gaps that may have been held within the four walls internally are now spilling over to the public sphere because of social media. Mm -hmm. And, and that is um, one of the things that that companies do need to pay more attention to is that if your employees are hearing one thing, but experiencing something differently, then expect that is going to come out and it can very much erode trust for the, versus elevate the brand. Um, and so I guess on that note, just to close us out, Ruth James, any closing thoughts, any advice you would offer to the communicators and brand marketers listening to our podcast about how they could really help their, their companies, the brands that they work with, um, manage and secure their their reputation going into 2021 for sure i mean communicators if they're not doing this already um I'll, I'll be amazed but i guess it's a kind of it's a pat on the back and it's a reinforcement because um you know i think the answer is and we hear this all over communicate 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 i think we cannot do it enough we can't do it frequently within our organization within our organization especially but not exclusively um, and to be authentic in that, to be frequent in it, to be um, varied in it, you know, finding new ways to communicate with different groups of people outside the organization, and especially new ways to communicate with people inside the organization, you know, giving your emerging leaders a fresh and new and more reg regular access to your CEO um, in a very casual um, kind of online um, um, setting 
is so, you know, use the technology and use the fact that we cannot travel and we cannot go anywhere and, you know, and, and close that gap. And, you know, just one more example, I guess, is, you know, usually our CEO would travel the world through the course of the year and see every one of our major markets and every leadership team. We've just done more than 1,000 leaders um, in 10 days across 17 countries and we're not finished February yet. And they've just heard, you know, the global strategy, they've talked to the CEO, they've seen their own country leaders too. We've never made that kind of um, impact through communication at speed with clarity, so aligned. So using the technology and communicate, communicate, communicate to, um, to, to, take, to leverage the situation, I think. Ruth hits on the point I would make, which is I think, you know, the, the requirement to over communicate right now is, is never been greater. And, you know, that's not to, to hit people with messages that are irrelevant, but to reinforce messages that they need to hear. It's really important. You know, I think that employment contract that, that's being recalibrated, we talked about earlier in this podcast, um, you know, it's no longer thinking of it, of a relationship between an employee and the employer as transactional, but more as transformational. And that comes from both sides. You know, um, from an employer perspective, that actually how can that employee and that group of employees become part of the transformation of the business and be part of the future? And how can you engage them regularly to feel like they're help shaping it so they can buy into it? Um, and you kind of then create a, an even stronger bond between employer and employee. And from an employee perspective, because you, you know that once your voice starts to get heard, you actually feel more... Um, motivated to want to come to work or whether that's virtually or not and and to do that and to, to play a more meaningful role and help shape the future of that business and indeed the impact that that business has on its um on its community i think that's so so important now some fantastic examples uh, of that and and i think you know long long may it continue i think getting that that more regular feedback from employees and not just in terms of actively listening but acting as well as listening, um, is, is going to be super important because those organizations, those businesses that get that right will set themselves up for success. Those that, that, that you know, are, are really kind of painting the toilet door and not fixing the plumbing, they're only listening, they're not really doing much about it. They eventually will kind of, I think, fall by the wayside and, be, and have less opportunity to be successful. So, Yep, let's, uh, let's see what happens. And I'm sure in a, in a few months' time, we'll probably look back and see who's done really, really well um, during 2021 uh, with these um, great tips that at least Ruth has given you all uh, today. Well, thank you both for joining us. And Nancy, I'm taking it back to you. Thank you for joining the Red Sky Fuel for Thought podcast. We hope you'll join us again for more of the latest communications, insights, and trends from the team at Red Havas. Please make sure to subscribe to the show using your favorite podcasting app. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Don't forget to rate and review today's show. We'd love to hear from you.